Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Grow Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that are going to allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over £50 million worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of Business Growth Secrets. I'm joined today by OBE, Jennifer Rosenberg, who had an award, uh, was an award in OBE for her services to business. She runs an amazing charity now. She's been a very successful lady throughout her career, and I'm really excited to get to know her more and ask some questions and, and help the audience, of course, today with some business growth secrets. So welcome on, Jennifer. Really pleased to have you here. Well, thank you very much, Adam. And you know, you have the pleasure of organizing my first podcast. So I, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm now becoming part of the 21st century. <laughs> you said that to me earlier, your first ever one. So my first an ever. And exclusive, isn't it, Jennifer? So, it is, absolutely. <laughs> really, You've got the really, first. Absolutely. And the best, hopefully. So welcome on. And I'm really thank looking forward to that. getting to know you. Your background and, and your history being that you won, you got your awarded your OBE for your services to business. You mm. had a career and a career in one of the most famous UK brands in Marks and Spencers. And we really wanted to get to know a bit about you and a bit about your background and where you started from, how you came to create some of the success that you created. So where did everything start for you? If you take us back a little bit, Jennifer. Well, we get... we're going back a long time. We're going <laughs> back to the beginning of the swing sixties. Um, and I was... I love school, but I was not an academic. And in those days, you, if you wanted to go to university, the options were quite limited and they really didn't work for me. So I left school at 16 and I managed to get a job working for Marks and Spencer in their big offices in Baker Street. And I started off in the post room. No other place for me to go. And that's <laughs> where I started, pushing my post trolley every day up and down those corridors. Did you really? Wow. And what would you say about yourself? What differentiated you? Because you obviously worked your way up. What was that journey like? You know, what did you do next? Where did we go? What was the kind of journey? Well, it's quite interesting you should ask that question, Adam, because when I went for the interview to Marks and Spencer, and it was before I'd taken my, they were O-levels then, but now they're GCSE. I went probably about the March, April, and I I met the staff. They they weren't human resources then. It was staff management. I met this charming lady. And she said, you know, you're interviewing for a job in the post room. I said, yes, but that's not, and I said, that's not really where I want to be. So she said, this is this 16-year-old telling this woman of vast experience. I said, well, I really want to be a buyer. Oh, she said, well, you know, that doesn't happen very often. I said, well, it's got to happen to someone. And I feel that's my career path. That's where I'm planning to sort of set my sights. So I got very good results my my O levels, and when I went started in September, I was I was told I was only going to have to spend two weeks in the post room, and I was getting promoted then to the accounts department, and that's how my career took off. And I was quite lucky in the accounts department because in that department 
They were responsible for dealing with all the checks that had to be paid to suppliers and customers, whatever. And there had to be two board signatures on every check. One was the company secretary and one was the director. So somebody had to go around and get all these checks signed. Because I was young and pretty, I was selected. So, <laughs> you know, you made hay, you made capital on the situation. And no, I was very fortunate. Doors opened and it was a great place to work. So I why went from. Why you, you were full of con- confidence? It sounds to me like from a very young age, what you were full of confidence. I was. Well, I think. Yeah, I would almost say my mother was probably the original tiger mother. My mother was very strong. I mean, I never was allowed to have a day off school. You just didn't have a day off school. It wasn't an option. You know, you went to school, whatever. No, she had great vision. And, well, she was a wonderful mother. She was always there for us. And we went to dancing school. We went to drama school. We did ballet. All, and you must remember, I was born during the war, 1942. So all these things were happening just after the war, when things weren't that readily available. I mean, if you look at any of the old films from the 40s or 50s, London, or well, all the cities in the UK were impoverished. Mm. Um, we had rationing, it was just... But, you know, my mother made sure I went to all the right... And I think when you do these things as a child, it gives you a lot of confidence. Massive. It really I, does. I'm interested, interested that you actually said what you just said. I'm working with a, um, a lady that runs a franchise school. I know she's a podcast listener. She owns a franchise school called Rasmataz. And, and she's often talked to me about the, the confidence that dance and theatre and those mm. type of arts actually instill in the children. Mm. To, you know, give them better communication skills. Mine as well has got a young girl that's very confident. I always say, what do you put that down to? And she always says that it literally is the drama, the theatre, mm. it's getting it out of herself. Mm. It really, mm. uh, really feels with confidence. So very interesting. It's a good tip for, you know, anyone that's listening that's got mm. children, the better way to bring their children on and, and, and give them a good, good start. Mm. So and after you worked in the accounts department, what happened? You started moving forward then, I presume. Then, yes, I was getting very bored. Now, every time I was, got my appraisal, I would always say, well, where am I going to next? So from there, <laughs> and it was quite an interesting path, actually, although I didn't realise it. So from accounts, I then went to distribution. And that mm. meant I was getting in like the nub of things because that's where all the merchandise used to get distributed to all the stores. So I was in the skirts and blouse department, so I was distributing this merchandise, and we had to select what we would send and everything. So I was getting closer to my goal. Wow. And it's really interesting that you said in every appraisal, you said, where am I going next? And it just seemed like that almost the you know a good brazenness and confidence just kept you pushing forward. Which is what it's all about, isn't it, I think? It is all. And another tip my mother always used to say, my mother always used to make sure I was perfectly dressed. I mean, obviously, when I went to school, we had school uniforms. But because her her view, her thoughts were, not thoughts, her view was that the, the first impression, the impression that you create when you walk through the door is the most important impression. And you've got that moment for a couple of seconds. And if you look good, they will remember you. If you look a mess, That's it. it doesn't work. It, do, well, it, may, it may work today, but it didn't work then. Yeah, that's a like, really good tip there. Dress for success, for sure. Dress for, oh, that's a great, oh, I like that dress for success. <laughs> Absolutely. Adam, that's great. That's great. No. <laughs> it's, well, it's I'm sure that you, in your field, you come across people and, you know, the person that looked, 
presents them is presenting yourself or that's really I almost think it's a little bit of a lost start I must admit that in my career I work in the automotive industry and like as I was working through I was working at Ford then on to BMW and and you really were in it you were suited every day it was all about new suits mm. smart looking the bar but then when you come out of that kind of environment uh, you find that a lot of entrepreneurs don't dress for success now they're dressed very casually now mm. when i go to the events i want to look smart i want to make that good impression and i think it's really important mm. i mean important point because people take you more seriously and you command more respect from the beginning don't you so you really- do absolutely when you walk in that door they look at you and that's so important to get that moment absolutely so move, moving forward then, we'll fast forward a little bit. What what happened? Why do you feel, where did you get to the point where you started taking control of situations and started to lead people? How did that transition take place for you? That took place because I, after I left distribution, I then went into the accessory department and then I, I was taken out of there and put into the skirt department. And when I went into the skirt department, that's when I really felt this is what I want to do. I was given a range of merchandise. It was my, I was in charge of that range of merchandise and I was responsible for presenting what we were going to buy on it, following the sales through. And so I suppose I was, I'm trying to work out how old I would have been there. I suppose I was about 23, 24. And then my position grew in that, in the scope. You see, it also, this also coincided with what was happening in London. Suddenly it was the swinging 60s. You're way too young to even remember that. But probably your mother's too young to remember. But suddenly everything happened in London. We had the Beatles, we had Carnaby Street, and we had this item called a miniskirt. And I was very fortunate. I lobbied very strongly in the skirt department, that we should look at shorter skirts because I could see what was happening. I was out young, I was out and about. And I always remember Teddy C, who was the chairman at the time, when I presented this skirt to him, and I'm quite short, you can't see because I'm sitting down. So when I put a 16-inch skirt up against me, it didn't look too short. So he said, okay. And, and in those days, they used to call us by our surname. So my name is Levine. He said, yes, we'll try it. We'll try 50 dozen. Because we, we always bought everything in dozens in m So that's like 600 skirts. Well, they went out and they just walked off the counters. They were so fast. And, we just, and that was the start of this whole new look in the skirt department. And really how I was so fortunate to be part of it that my career just spiraled up nonstop. So, you see, London, you have to understand, London, we had the war, the the war ended, then the 50s were dark and grey. London was being rebuilt. It was totally impoverished. We still had rations, as I mentioned. Then suddenly the 60s, and there's this explosion, explosion, and everything's happening in London. You know, we've got Twiggy, we've got Mary Quant, we've got Vidal Sassoon, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. It was just so exciting. And we had Eminence's miniskirts. It doesn't get better than that. <laughs> so where, where did you get? So really that one, that opportunity. I often talk about, you know, pivotal moments, our one chance, mm. one opportunity, one moment can really change the course and the direction. You know, so you had this big hit within the skirting department. Mm. And that came from you being, you know, having really good situational awareness, I suppose, mm. which another thing I talk about, situational awareness, being aware of your surroundings, being mm. aware of 
happening, being able to spot the trends. Very, very important because, you know, you didn't have the internet at all. You didn't yeah. have it. So you only knew what you saw or you saw in a magazine or you saw on a television. And you didn't have all the channels either. You yeah. know, you were very limited. Your communication, um, your means of communication is very limited. Absolutely. And that situation when it's got you that big break. And um, where did we go? We said your career skyrocketed. How do we end up, you know, starting in the post room and going on to get an OBE, you know, for your services, that business? It's an incredible story, really. You know, yeah, so well, I suppose but when you're living it. Of course. I, understand. Yeah, I mean, I'm giving, giving you like a little snapshot version of it. But I, the incredible thing is, Adam, that I've loved everything I've done. I loved working with MS. I was so happy to be in the ladies' wear department, so happy, and to accept all the exciting new things that were happening. I mean, we had another success story with trousers, with fit and flare pants. They didn't have a trouser range, MS. So I was selected to develop a trouser range um, on my own. I could use whichever manufacturers I wanted, and I did it. And and that was another success. It was just so successful because the country was hungry for new things. Absolutely. It's not like it is today with all the choice and the selection and the merchandise that's brought in from overseas. Everything was made in the UK. All the fabrics were sourced in the UK. And it was just very exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the other interesting thing was you talk about communication. The senior board at MS knew who we were. They were in our offices every other day, looking at the merchandise, seeing what's happening. Have we bought enough? It was so hands-on. It was unbelievable. And that's, uh, you know, really important. Perhaps not, doesn't, same things don't happen now within certainly large companies, not as hands-on. No, they don't. But this was a large company at the time. Of they course, were, huge. They were, and we have, Mar- the offices were in Bacon Street and we have Marble Art, the big stored at the bottom of the road and the ball were in there all the time talking to the customers seeing what's selling what do you want it was it was a wonderful i found it an amazing experience to have to see all this happening and i learned so much from it how long did you stay there for how long were you actually working within that i left mns i left when i was 30 so i was there 14 years 14 years well Okay, awesome. So nearer the end of your time there, what would you say were your biggest success? Obviously, you've had the success of launching the products. Where did you start to lead other people and start to be in the position of, how did you get nominated to, for, for your awards and things that you won? Well, I got nominated for my awards when I left m and I was running my own business. So, yeah. But while I was at m and we, we always had a team of young people working under you. And it was you knew that you had to teach them and train them, and there was a. It wasn't um, a spelt out line of um, training, but it was a line of training, and you had these young people. And sometimes, you know, when I was actually the senior selector or the senior buyer of the skirt department, I had a team of about twelve people working under me, and I was still not even thirty. I was very, you know, we were. I, that was the other thing that happened. You know, things keep. I keep remembering things. With this new advent of fashion that was happening in London, the senior board looked at the certain buying departments like the blouse department, the dress department, skirt department, and whatever, and they felt they wanted to have a new look. They wanted new faces, younger people. So gradually, the more mature buyers were 
pensioned off. When we were young, we were kids. We were in our 20s running these departments. Which, if you think about it, the board were amazing to put so much confidence in in us. Absolutely. They clearly see that you were moving in the right direction. But I equally think, though, we'd all had had a wonderful training there. You know, we we weren't just plucked off a tree. We'd been (laughs) in the various departments and we'd been trained and we understood. We understood merchandise we understood the way MS worked and we, we connect we communicated i think it's really important I, the one thing that i think is important is it doesn't matter how old somebody is it matters whether they've got the ability to do the job and exactly. i think that's really really important it you is know, important i, I remember but, times in my career where i felt like i was passed over because i was too young but i was capable enough and i think mm-hmm. if somebody's capable they you give them the opportunity mm-hmm. right and it sounds like they did which no, is awesome. which was interesting how because they knew who we were. They'd seen us, they would come into the buying departments at least twice a week. So they knew who we were and they could see what was happening and equally how we were dressing. Yeah. Because you know, we always looked smart. Um mm. you know, and they they were they knew us. Yeah, awesome. So when you went on to leave MS, what happens mm. next? In, in your careers? I, I decided to leave MS because my personal life was changing and it didn't work. I was involved with an MS manufacturer. He was a supplier. He was a very large manufacturer. And it wasn't working with me working there, he being a manufacturer. So I chose to, well, I, I left. Mm. But when I left, he was, became my husband wanted me to have something to do. So he started a little factory for me. He was an MD of a big public company, which you probably won't know now, but Selenport. And he was a major MS supplier. But he thought if he gave me something to do to keep me busy, I'd be happy. <laughs> so I obviously missed MS because it was a big part of my life. But then I was very fortunate that I was able then to supply MS. So I became a supplier to MS with a little factory in the northeast of England, in Wall's End, making ladies' trousers for Marks and Spencer. Lovely. And the wonderful thing was that M&S were very happy to support me because they felt that there was no way I could continue to work at M&S, but they didn't want to lose what um, I could offer them and what skills I had, so they were very happy to support my business supplying. And it's always, uh, there's a good lesson in that in itself for a lot of people that, you know, work for a business, realising that actually when you leave that business, that relationship doesn't always have to end. It actually can be no. opportunity. Mm. But a lot of people overlook that. And if you leave under bad circumstances. Mm. Shall I tell you something, Adam? You know, they even when I left, they gave me a golden handshake. Mm. I was 30 years old. I was still so young. I was going off to start my own business and they gave me a golden handshake. Shape. It doesn't get better than that. No, absolutely. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it is awesome. I couldn't believe it when they gave me the check. I was just, you know, they were just so such a wonderful company to work for, and they were really so respectful. Very fondly of them, you know. As you as you talk, you speak very fondly of them. Which I is, do. I had yeah. a wonderful time there. I absolutely, I loved every moment. Oh. And you know, I'm friendly with so many of um, so many of my friends who used to work there. We're all still friendly. Oh, that's lovely. It's great. And 
So in terms of growing your business, and you said you go on to you achieve great success in this business, what does that look like for you? What actually happened in the growth of your business? How did you find running a business? You've had this career where you've had a lot of support, you worked in a great environment, now you're doing your own thing. What's that like for you? Well, that became, that used, um, personally, that was very difficult because I went from being Jennifer Levine, senior selector or senior buyer of ladies' separates with a budget of about 50 million, which was a fortune then. Coming, going back to being now, right? <laughs> Still yeah. not bad now, right? <laughs> You're so right. You're so right. But then becoming, you know, a manufacturer, employing about 12 people. When you, pick, when you phone somebody, they didn't really want to talk to you because you weren't that important. So it was a big turnaround. But um, and he also something I just like to mention, we opened this factory in um, January 1974, which was when we had a three-day week. We had the miners strike. And companies were only allowed to operate three days a week. Well, you can imagine you've got enough business acumen to know that you know, you're starting a brand new business and you can only operate half a week. Not good. But we survived. We survived. And we just grew the business. I mean, I was very fortunate. Uh, I was always in ladies where I only ever manufactured ladies. Where, and the business in the Northeast grew. We finished up with 12 factories over the Northeast and Yorkshire. And at one point, you know, um, we, we employed over 3,000 people. Wow. So you took a small business to 3,000 people in employees, 12 factories. Mm. I mean, it's super success, right? And mm. um what were some of the what, what tips would you give some of the people that are listening? Some because I have a lot of people that listen in fashion. I have a lot of people in fast fashion. A lot of people in you know retail, all sorts of different things. And you know, and and also the fact that you're you're a female entrepreneur, I think it's really inspiring as well that you built it to three thousand people. A lot of the time, people look for more. That we need more female entrepreneurs is what I'm trying to say. You know, I think it's really important, um, especially to speak up and talk about their journey. So, what were some of the things that you learned along the way? What were some of the things you would say about running a business for you? What's really important? What was the success for Jennifer Rosenberg? What was well, I think you actually have to have a good team as well. I'm a team player. I mean, I can't do everything myself. No way. So I have to have a good financial. And I, I, I can delegate, but I don't abdicate. And I think that's so important. So important. And I, I've been very fortunate with the people on my team I've picked. Very, very. What does nice. delegate, not abdicate, look like? You mean you delegate, but you still monitor and measure the result, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you do that consciously. So you're like, right, I'm going to. I mean, we used to, you know, when the business was really big, we every Monday morning we used to have a, a, a meeting, a sales meeting, and with all the designers, the sales team, and everything. And there was about 20, 30. And I used to have a, I, I used to have like a chart, a bible. And every single style that we were producing, the whole company was monitored. And I always went through to find out exactly where that was every single week and whether, whether there were problems, whether there were different. So I, I allowed everybody to run their departments, but equally I had to know what was going on. Which is really important, right? It's so easy. one of your rules would, would be for success, delegate but don't abdicate. Absolutely. Monitor the results. Absolutely. Basically, well, about managing teams, 3,000 people. Wow. That's a lot of people to manage, Jennifer. Yeah, but I didn't do it on myself. I just said, <laughs> oh, <of course>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and no, I had a great team. And 
I'm always somebody that if there's a problem, I always know there's going to be a solution. I'm a very positive person. I'm not negative at all. I don't, can't deal with negativity. I hate it. So I'm a very positive person. And for me, there's always a solution. Always. And in terms of you saying you're very positive, but which I agree, I'm the same. How do you feel that that's instilled in you? Because for a lot of people, it's just not natural. You know, they don't, but you have to work. I know I've worked on it, but I interview a, a lot of people and I've worked with a lot of people. I speak to a lot of high level people. And I think that that's a common trait to be more of a positive mindset. But where do you think that comes from for you, that positive mindset? Well, I think it almost it comes from the fact that also if you're confident, you know, I said to you before, I was very confident from a child, I was very confident. And I think this sees you through big time. And I'm, I, I mean, I cannot, I, as I say, I hate negativity. I'm a very positive person. I really, really am. And I always look at the pluses in this situation rather than the minuses. Yeah. Which is, I mean, if you think we've gone through this COVID, I mean, you know, come on, we've had two years of this pandemic mm. that no, we've never, ever experienced before. And I thought, thought to myself, how am I going to deal with this? Because at this time, that time I was living on my own in an apartment here in London. And I hate my own company, and I like to be busy. Yeah. So I thought I've got to make myself a list every day, every single day, or every night before I go to bed, I make myself of what I'm going to do the next day so that I've got a structure and a plan to my day. I can't just wake up in the morning and sit and do nothing. I can't do it. And that's something that's a, a very simple thing mm. that all, all successful people do, I think. Mm. Yeah, I was taught that. I was, you know, when I worked at Ford, one of the first things, I was very unorganized. And I had a, a great manager there. His name was Michael. And the first thing he said to me is, Adam, right, this is the, this is the, I'm going to give you one habit. This is the habit. He said, you are not allowed to leave this show unless you write a list of exactly what you are going to do tomorrow. He said, alternatively, you can get in at 6 a.m. and you can write the list, but I don't care. You don't start the day without mm-hmm. a plan. And he gave me that. And I'll tell you what, that simple thing actually mm. empowers you so much because it gives you uh, mm. a path. You always just say, and mm. also write down the three big things you're going to accomplish each day. If you mm. write down three big things, you'll always accomplish three things. Mm. You can't accomplish 300, but you can accomplish No, 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 absolutely. Mm. So I yeah. think I've always had that mindset, and particularly with the pandemic, because I thought to myself, if I'm not going to have a list and a plan each day, it won't happen. It won't work. But that made it work. Absolutely. And did you, in the end, find that to be a productive period for you? I mean, I'm interested. Yeah, I mean, we did. I'm sure I did the same as everybody. I did masses of decluttering, 12 feet out drawers. <laughs> I did a beautiful jigsaw puzzle. I did jigsaw puzzles, which I, I find very therapeutic. I liked them. One was so beautiful, I've had it framed. Um, what else? Obviously, we watched television. We did it all. But, I mean, it was red. So, you know, somehow... I tried to use the time as best I could. Absolutely. In terms of successes in your career, what would you say are the most successful? Obviously, building a company, having 3,000 people. You got given an OBE for this, right? This is That's the what I got, yeah, for services. Yeah. Because, I, because we were in based in mainly, most of the factories were based in the northeast of England, and I, I got it because of the unemployment levels were so bad there. I got this OBE for services to industry because we so many people. How did that feel? That was such an incredible day. I didn't realise how amazing it would be till the moment we drove through those gates at Buckingham Palace. And <laughs> it just suddenly, that 
it's just unbelievable. And I was very fortunate. I was given my award by the Queen. Yeah. And it's just, I can remember every moment of that day still. It was just fantastic. It was fantastic. And it's a lovely way to cap off a, a wonderful business and a, a wonderful career, mm. isn't it? You know, uh, that acknowledgement in that way. And, mm. and you're now into charity. We must talk about that as well and talk mm. about what you're doing now to, to make a difference. And I know that this is something that's, not the pun, but close no, to I know yeah, Absolutely. You've actually had this, uh, mm. you know, you, you, you're, so do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And yeah, how so you, how, how I got, well, my late husband developed a very bad heart condition and we went to see his specialist. This is now 2003. And he's given really weeks to live. It's he's so bad. He's got something called heart failure, and it's really bad. Um, but then he's, uh, we went back to see the specialist, and he said that he's, there's a young cardiologist working at St. Bartholomew's Hospital who's just given a paper on this treatment that's happening in Germany where you take a patient's own stem cells and you inject them back into their damaged hearts, and it starts to regenerate that damaged heart. Wow. So this was quite mind-blowing, because I'd never heard of stem cells. I mean, this was something totally new to me. Anyway, this there was a professor, Zaire, at um, the Frankfurt University Hospital was doing this research program. Um, were we interested? So the next thing, my husband and I were off to Frankfurt with the cardiologist, with Anthony Mather, who we'd only just met. And we go, and my husband has the treatment, and it is incredible. It gave him three years that were just amazing years. And when we got back to London, he was so upset that there was no money in the UK for this research. It just, the money wasn't available, that he decided that he would start or we would start a charitable foundation to raise the money to allow this treatment to be available to everybody across the UK. So he was very dynamic, my husband. He had so much energy. And when he found out they would need £6 million to conduct this trial, he set about raising it. And we did. We had a big launch at the Mansion House. Esther Ranson is one of our big patrons and supporters. She was there, as the Lord Mayor was. And we started a campaign to raise the money. You raised um, six million pounds for this trial. It's mm, amazing. Mm, mm, really mm. amazing. It was three trials we did, but yeah, we raised the six million pounds. And um, the first patient got treated in 2005, and it's been ongoing since. And to date, we've treated over 400 patients. And now we have a dedicated, compassionate unit at St. Bartholomew's Hospital, which is ongoing. We treat patients on an ongoing basis. And now we're planning another fundraising campaign to raise another £8 million wow. because we want to conduct a bigger trial, which if that trial reacts the way the previous trials have reacted, we'll be able to offer this to the national health and roll it out across the country. And this saves lives, right? Saves, of course it does. It saves, and they, I mean, heart, heart, you know, when you've just mentioned um, Sean Wayne, um, you know, Shane Warren, um, yeah. you know, heart disease is the biggest killer in this country. And it yeah. doesn't just kill mature people, it kills young people as well. Yeah, it's amazing. He was 52, wasn't he, really? And this is it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so as I say, we're, we are financing the Compassionate Unit ongoing, and now we're starting a big £8 million campaign to start a, a new, a bigger, bigger trial 
which will hopefully will get approved by the by NICE, which is the NHS committee, medical committee, and then we'll be able to roll it out across the UK. So yeah. we'll be able to save even more lives. Mm. Amazing. So how can people support this charity? Where can they go to? What is the charity? Well, they, they can go to our website, which is www.heartcellsfoundation.com. We have an excellent page where you can go and see previous patients that have been treated and hear their case studies, which are wonderful. You can donate. And I mean, if we have anybody listening that would like to support us for £8 million, I'll come and pick the check up. (laughs) Who knows? You never know, right? (laughs) No. Well, listen, we did did it before. And if you think £6 million in 2004 is a lot more than £8 million now. Yeah. And and the other reality is your health is your wealth, really. Your health is your wealth. You might have all the money in the world. Absolutely. You You haven't got good health. And the the interesting thing with this treatment, it's so simple. It's not an operation. You extract your own stem cells from your bone marrow, and then Mm. they get purified. Then you inject them back into your damaged heart, and your heart regenerates. That's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. It really, really is. And of course, this research is being used with stem cells for other, many other illnesses as well. It's being used for the liver, for macular degeneration in the eye. There's a whole cross-section of areas it's being treated for. And yeah, I mean, it's something to really be proud of. How long have you been involved in the charity? You've been running the charity? Well, we started it in 04. So where are we now? 14, um, 18 years. 18 years, wow. Mm. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. And you've helped. But if you talk to the medical people, they think it's so quick. I think it's taken forever, but they think it is. You know, we've got there so quickly. Mm. Well, it shows you, you know, the how much effort it really requires to to help. But but equally, you see, going back, I mean, I'm not a medical person at all. Um, The the medical team we have at St Bartholomew's are amazing. Professor Anthony Mather leads it, and they are doing a wonderful job. I also have a great team of trustees who really, you know, as I say, I'm a team player. As long as I'm leading, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're a team leader, right? <laughs> okay, if you say so. <laughs> Well, great. Look, um, can you just say the website again that people can go and check yeah, this out? The website is www.heartcellsfoundation.com. Go and check it out. Yeah. Give generously. Yeah, absolutely. Go and check it out. Uh, heartcellsfoundation.com for a really, really great cause. Uh, Jennifer Rosen- Rosenberg on the state. You've been absolutely amazing. Congratulations on all your success and your results. And thank you for coming on doing your first ever podcast, Jennifer. You've been yeah, amazing. absolutely. I'm going to write this in my diary now. My first podcast with Adam. Ah, brilliant. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, thanks okay. everybody for listening. Thank and you. If you haven't already, go and give us a five-star review on on Business Growth Secrets, Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to. Make sure you subscribe so you can see more brilliant interviews from brilliant people like Jennifer, where we share the secrets of building businesses on Business Growth Secrets. Thanks for everyone for joining today. Hi, everybody. Adam here. 
and I hope you loved today's episode. Hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favor. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive Academy days and have lunch with me on the day, meeting hundreds of my clients. So if you want that to be you, then you're gonna be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on iTunes. Please, of course, do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes. Peace and love, and I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.